What's going on, guys? It's CJ from the Dynasty Duo. Tyler and I just want to let you know we recorded this on Monday before the Dak Prescott signing and all the tag news, but we wanted to tell you guys that I moved up Dak Prescott to my QB3 in Dynasty rankings, and Tyler moved Dak Prescott up to QB2 in his Dynasty rankings. Look out next week for all of our reactions to the signings and the tags, and enjoy the show. Where my head is, where my head is, I don't got him. I'm not famous, no. Alright y'all, welcome back to the Dynasty Duo Podcast. I am your host, CJ Krause. Today we are talking about my favorite thing in all of fantasy football, the startup draft. With me, as always, my esteemed colleague, writer for Dynasty League Football, Tyler Carp. How are we doing, Tyler? I'm great. Always great. Great. So we're just going to jump right into this one. A lot of things went down since the last time we recorded. So let's get into the news first. All right, so the first play I want to bring up is going to be big Ben Roethlisberger restructured his contract for next year to allow some available cap space for the team. So he is going to be locked in as a starter for 2021. Tyler, what are your thoughts on uh, big Ben coming back? Well, I mean, he had a cap hit of 41 million before they restructured it. That wasn't going to work. They didn't have any money. They were well over the cap. So let alone resigning any of their free agents, they were going to have to cut a bunch of players and not be able to bring in anyone to replace them. So it's good for the team that they got that deal done. I, this is uh, this is it, though. This is Ben's last season. The way they restructure the contract, there's a bunch of void years at the end. Void. I won't, it's not really that important what void years are, but essentially those years are not real. Uh, it's really just a one-year deal. And after this, he's he's done. He's going to retire. So plan for Big Ben to be the starting quarterback for all of 2021. And then uh, for 2022, they're going to make other plans. Yeah, because a lot of times you'll hear us talk about void years or saving money via contract. You can look up a lot of contract details online pretty easily there. And you always want to look at the cap hit and look at how much they, um, if they cut him, what it costs them. And you can kind of figure out who's going to, who's eligible to be cut on a team and give kind of like an idea out there. But yeah, pretty much it's this year and then there's no reason to keep him, but there's like money on the table if they want to um, with that contract that he has. But yeah, I think it's a good thing for that. But if you have Big Ben, this is your last chance to either try to get rid of him or just hold on to him and ride it out this year but if i could get like a second for him i'd be I'll ecstatic i'd be ecstatic about that i think i saw him traded for like early third i'm like i get it you know yeah he's he's not someone i'm targeting i'm not interested at all he's definitely a sell for me we had a few tight ends being cut. We had Kyle Rudolph being let go from the Minnesota Vikings, and we had Jared Cook being let go, but basically he was not going to get re-signed anyways. So bump up to a lot of people on Twitter went crazy over this, over Irv Smith, and a little bump up for Adam Troutman. What are your thoughts on these tight ends? I mean, Irv Smith, you know, we most people thought that Kyle Rudolph was going to be released. I thought that Rudolph had more gas left in the tank, I think, than some people did. I was hoping that the Vikings would not decide to have him take a pay cut. Uh, I'm glad that that didn't work out. They cut him. I do think Rudolph's going to sign elsewhere. Uh, a couple. He's already been linked to the Patriots. As for Irv, I like it. I mean, he's very young. But if you're hoping for a, a productive season in 2021, you're probably getting ahead of yourself. He's uh, He just turns 23 in August, which is well before the tight end breakout age, which is 25. 
I, I like him though. I like him in Dynasty. He's a good hold, but just uh, temper your expectations for 2021. If if you're uh, you know expecting him to provide massive fantasy value right right now, you're probably expecting too much. Yeah, that's one big thing a lot of times. I love that you brought breakout age because we get so excited about these tight ends when they get to the job, but it takes years to develop that skill at that position. It's one of the slowest progressive um, skills to be useful on the field is the tight end. The average age is about 25 to 26 is the breakout age for tight ends for a normal player. We can disregard like the Gronks and all that, but yeah, the biggest thing for me is with Irv Smith and the lesser effect Troutman out there, it shouldn't have changed your rankings because you should have seen the writing on the wall in my opinion. So at least it didn't change mine going into it. So I don't think I bumped anybody up, but the way Twitter is reacting that they were like, oh my God, he's now locked and loaded a tight end one high and his value went up. I'm like, I've had him on that back end one high end two for a while now. I, I mean, I I moved him up. I, I think that... You know, we always talk about transactions being certain, but I don't think it was certain. It, Cook is a different story because Cook's contract was up. That was just a procedural move. We, we all knew that Cook was gone because he was not under contract for 2021. But Rudolph was under contract. They could have reached a you – know, he could have taken a pay cut. We saw – we've seen tight ends take a pay cut. Cameron Brait took a pay cut to stay with the Bucks when they didn't need him. So you never know what's going to happen. So the fact that that didn't happen, yeah, I, I gave Irv a small a small value bump. He moved up a, a few spots for me in my overall. I, I might have, uh, believe I moved him past uh, Evan Ingram. Uh, he was behind Ingram before, and now he's a, ahead. So, yeah, I mean, a slight change. Troutman, I didn't make any changes. Uh, I Cook was already gone. So in that case, nothing. There was no reason to make any changes. Yeah, but the biggest thing is a slight value bump for you. Oh, I was like, slight, yeah, but yeah, well, slight is not nothing. No, I, I agree. I'm saying you you had the assumption that where you already had him, that most likely Rudolph was going to be gone or be like less of a factor already. That's so, correct. So your value bump was as much as other people's, the way they were at least reacting to it. Well, That's sure. what I'm getting at. My value bump is whatever you think the difference was between a 75% chance of Rudolph getting cut, and now we know it's 100%. So. Correct. That's, you know, that's something. That's yeah. minimal, but something. Correct. But uh, moving on to this one, we had another cut. Duke Johnson was cut, and David Johnson was restructured his contract for the 2021 season, taking a pay cut to stay there in Houston. Um, this is completely relevant, especially if you're a team pushing for a championship. What is the dynasty value of David Johnson for 2021? David Johnson is one of those players. It's hard to give him a dynasty value. He... He's old. I mean, he's already 29. He doesn't really, you know, he doesn't have a future. But for this year, he's going to, you know, Deshaun Watson might not even be there. So it's not looking so great. But for this year, he's going to be usable probably if he stays on the field. I, I don't ever buy guys like this. I don't voluntarily put myself in that position. Uh, if I already have him, I do on one team. I'll just hang on to him for now. His value is not going to go down between now and August. It's only going to go up. And then in August, I'm going to try to sell to a team's going to realize then I don't, a team's going to say I don't have a running back too or a running back at all. Uh, and maybe I'll be able to get a second round pick for him then. But I, I don't want to buy into him voluntarily if I don't have to 
Yeah, that's one of the things I definitely want to talk about. Like, he's probably worth around a second-round pick right now, and that's not going to change by the start of the season. Like, team, more teams on your league will realize what positions they need, which could potentially give you more guys to be spending up, which might create a bidding war to an extent for a player like that. Because when you get into more of the redraft mindset close to the league, people will start valuing the running backs a little bit higher. So that's a big key factor there. David Johnson's, like, the last man standing. So I think it was like – a low-end running back two in a redraft format. They'll, it. they'll bring in another back. I, his value also would really be helped if they don't trade Deshaun Watson. If they trade Deshaun Watson, they're going to get, first of all, Watson's gone. And then secondly, they're going to get a bunch of draft picks, one of which they can use on a running back. So right now they're not going to be using any significant capital on a running back because they don't, they have so many needs. The whole team is a disaster. The last thing they're going to do is spend significant capital on a running back. So, you know, you should hope that somehow Watson and the Texans resolve their differences. They're not going to, but we can all hope uh, for David Johnson's value, but it it is important. He's going to be, I don't know where he's going to be drafted and redraft this year. Probably a borderline RB2 at best. I mean, depends on the situation. Probably around RB25 to 27. Yeah, I, I, I had him like around 22 to 25. So we're in the same idea, like where we would rank him just about. But like that can change so much based on the draft and who's left over and who it's knocked up or down. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him past like an RB19 at the peak. Yeah, he's going to be the starter. He's yeah. going to be I they're not going to bring in one of the the only three running backs to me in this class that would dethrone him as the starter, Harris, Etienne and Javante Williams. Anyone else is a is backup. So and they're not going to pick one of those three running backs. They just that's so low on their list of they're years and years and years away from being a contender. They're not picking a running back yeah with, with that restructure i don't see them picking a running back they don't have the money to spend really for a running back in free agency and why would they when they have someone that's oh no they're right just, now they're so, not signing a running back in free agency yeah so again david johnson's pretty much a hold right now maybe try to sell them closer to the season when people realize what they need and maybe get like a second and hope hopefully get a couple teams to bid in maybe get the second plus It'd be a great sell um david johnson's closer to the season moving on to the next spot alex smith um, comeback player of the year was cut by the Washington football team. This is um, not completely irrelevant because he was fine and he might find a job going forward. What's your opinion on Alex Smith for 2021? Alex Smith is not finding a job going forward. I mean, some team might sign him to be backup. It sounds like he still wants to play. I, I don't know who would sign him. He's not, I don't think he's going to be starting anywhere. Uh, at least not as the intention um, for 2021. I I do think someone signs him, though. I, yeah. He's one of the, you know, 40 best quarterbacks available. So that those players get jobs. I mean, Chase Daniels had a job. So, like... Chase Daniels might get traded, too. There's been rumors I, uh, that. That's ridiculous. I don't think it's going to happen, but yeah. Right, but you know what I'm saying. Alex Smith is significantly better than Chase Daniel. Uh, I think Alex Smith is going to sign somewhere potentially as like a mentor type. There's some rumor that he could sign in Jacksonville, uh, but that doesn't really make sense. They already have Minshew there. So maybe they trade him away. I could see him signing. um, I mean, I would say with the Patriots, but I don't know, maybe 
I mean, there are some places that could could use him. Could sign as like the backup for the Chargers or something like that kind of thing. And in yeah, which case, he would have no value. I mean, he'd still be a premier backup kind of thing. Like nobody I would like really pay anything for, but I still wouldn't mind him on the back end of my super flex roster in case that starter does go down and maybe you can get something for him. Yeah. After that. it, that's about the only time you'd want it. is at this point. Yeah. So we'll move on to the next part. We got Zach Ertz getting some trade um, rumors roaming about there. Where do you think Zach Ertz is going if he is going anywhere? Oh, uh, Jacksonville. I mean – they need a tight end really badly. They don't have anything there. I think that's exactly the kind of thing that you do to get a safety blanket for your new quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. I, I They have the cap space for it. Ertz will probably need to take a pay cut. The, the only thing is Ertz comes with a massive contract. I, I don't know if Philadelphia is going to get anything for him. I, I think they might have to end up releasing him, and then he'll get to choose his spot. And he could go anywhere. He ends with Wentz back in uh, Indy. It's possible. I don't think that the Colts are trading for Ertz. If they were going to trade for Ertz, they would have done it already. If Ertz is released, then then maybe. But I don't see them as a team that would give up anything for Ertz. Yeah, just one year ago, Ertz was being talked at in the big three of tight ends. Where would you rank him right now? No, oh he's boy. No, he's probably going to be on a new 18. team, but where would you rank him? 17, 18. I, I'm not interested. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that one. There's so much many players with better upside, but he's a usable tight end too. Maybe someone um, for tight end premium on bye weeks and maybe bottom of the roster stash. But if you can get him for like a third, that might be worthwhile to pick up. Sure. Just in case. That's But like I wouldn't pay more than like a third for him right now. I'd pay a third. What would you pay more than a third is the question. I'd pay an early third. That's what I mean. I'm not yeah. saying, yeah. Uh, we're, we're in agreement. I'm just asking. I think that's the line I have, but I wouldn't pay a second. Probably not getting him for that, though. That's so. the thing. So he's kind of, kind of that hold range. But yeah. you never know when someone might be out on somebody. But that's kind of, I like to give uh, the listeners kind of like a line that we put there, like what we would pay. Like I'd sell him for a second, 100%, but I'd pay, buy him for a third. No one's paying a second. See, see, that's the thing is that he's one of those players I kind of feel you're just probably better off just taking the rest of Zach Ertz's career unless your team is just absolutely awful. And then just take whatever you can get. Yeah. Just if your team's awful, trade him for something that has some hope to increase in value at some point. I don't know what that is. Otherwise, just take the rest of Ertz's career, whatever it is. It'll include some usable games. I don't think he's going to retire. I don't think he's going to retire anytime soon, but I think his best years are definitely behind him. He was never really that, like, yak tight end. He was that, like, catch and fall. So he was like yak. a value tight end. <laughs> that's an understatement that he was never a yak tight end i'm just kind of bringing it up with a lot of people i like, don't realize like, like there's different kinds of receiving different kinds of tight ends that he was never the one that like would get anything more than was given to him oh yeah yeah but that's literally like exactly his game like he never did anything after the catch at all ever so so yeah that's spot on but it's like even even more extreme than i think what you're implying like that's literally the zach Ertz. he never breaks any tackles he never does anything of after he catches the ball at all so yeah totally agree yeah um going forward one of your uh, biggest thing he tagging on twitter with this one your favorite player right now Stop tagging me <laughs> chase edmonds is in the news with cliff not he can um he can serve as a team's primary running back. Cliff Kingsbury believes. Oh, um, does he? 
<laughs> what is your uh, does Chase Edmonds' opinion change with that news? Uh, no, we'll agree to disagree, Cliff. Uh, no, he cannot serve as a lead back. Uh, he tried. Uh, they tried to have him serve as a lead back, and every time that they did that, he got hurt. And then every time he got hurt, it took forever for him to come back. And then he came back to a limited role, which is where he belongs. He is not a lead back. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. You have people on people on Twitter just being like, "Oh, now Chase Edmonds will get more touches and will be a lead back." No, that is not going to happen. I don't care that there's currently no one else on the team. There will be someone else on the team, and it doesn't matter. If he's just not capable of handling the workload, he's not capable of handling the workload. We have three years of him not handling the workload. In year four, running backs don't magically become workhorses. That that just doesn't happen. Show me. Show me a running back who did that, who three years was constantly injured every time they got significant touches, and then in year four suddenly just handled workhorse touches appropriately, That especially one with fourth-round draft capital. That doesn't happen. So yeah, you're asking a very specific deadline there with fourth on draft capital injury. Well, just on top of that too, not only has he not done it through three years, he's fourth round draft capital. I mean, this is people are like talking about Chase Edmonds as a like potential league winner or like having RB one upside. I'm like, I, I guess you could you could see it that way. It's an opinion. It's wrong, but it's it's an opinion that you could have. And, you know, some opinions are smarter than others. We actually, really we actually did see a game last season where he got, like, the full workload of 25 touches, and he only got 70 yards with That's that. That's right, because can he handle 25 touches? No. He can handle, like, 7 to 10. Yeah. Well, and then after that, he gets tired, and all of a sudden, he can't handle those touches. I don't know why. Uh, but, you know, it's been proven. Like, get, there's a reason why certain guys get workhorse touches and other guys don't. We have three years of not workhorse touches. Two two coaching staffs. Nobody wanted to give him workhorse touches. There's a reason for that. I don't care what Cliff Kingsbury says. He's just saying, we know why he's saying that. He's saying that so he doesn't have to trade up for Najee Harris or Travis Etienne or Javante Williams. That's why he's saying it. That's why. I mean, it's coaches say, can say anything. doesn't matter. I care what the coach actually did with the players, not what they're saying in March. It's irrelevant. Uh, one thing I do like to bring up is the use of terms here. He says he can be, not will be. That's, I think, the biggest thing. But we know what Tyler feels on all of this. I mean, you know, anyone can. He can say that all he likes. If everyone else gets injured and there's no one else available on the team, he can be a workhorse back. And also, while we're on the Chase Edmonds topic, stop with the Eno Benjamin nonsense. People are telling me that Eno Benjamin is going to, like, take touches you know, Benjamin was active for how many games in 2020? Wasn't very many. I remember because I update my dynasty rankings every week, and every week he was inactive. I keep kept pushing him down. So players that are inactive as a rookie and don't even see the field, seventh-round draft capital, just stop. It's irrelevant. Just ignore him. He's not part of this discussion at all. So... Tyler believes that the Cardinals will be adding somebody to that back, oh, yeah. which, which I completely agree with. So the last bit of news I want to talk about is Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic himself. He's been like in the news a few times this week saying he might retire. Now he's not retiring. The teams are interested. What do you think is going to happen with Fitzpatrick? Is he retiring? Is he going to a team? And if he's going to a team, where is he going? 
I don't know. There was talk that he was going to retire. Then he wasn't retiring. Then he was retiring. We'll know when it happens. I, there was some talk about with the Broncos. I think that would make sense, kind of to give them that veteran backup to Drew Locke that they don't have. He'd start over Locke. He'd uh, Locke out. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I mean, we'll see. I think they would give Locke the chance to start, and if he sucked, pull him. But isn't that like Fitzpatrick's only role is to like sit behind a young guy and see if he sucks, and then if he sucks, just throw him in there. I mean, Fitzpatrick could sign with Bears and and start. He could sign with Washington and start. He could sign with New England. I mean, he's better than anything any of those teams have. Yeah, you named like the four teams I really wanted to talk about. Like those are the four teams, like the Broncos, New England, Washington football team, and the Bears all need a quarterback. I mean, I'm counting Locke as not a quarterback basically at this point, but they all need somebody there. And Fitzpatrick is a guy that can walk in there and he wants to go to the playoffs really bad. That's one thing he hasn't done. So I think like, I think he ends up, if he does play, it's going to be the Bears or Washington personally. You know what I think he's going to do though? And I think this would make sense for him is I think he's going to wait. I think he's going to wait until like May after the draft and just see how it all shakes out and then see if anyone calls him kind of like when Jay Cutler came out of retirement, he came out of retirement because there was a starting job open for him. Like I think, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick wants to be a starter. So I think what's going to happen is he'll, someone's going to miss out on getting someone that they, anyone that they want. I don't know who that's going to be, but there aren't enough real quarterbacks to give everyone one. So, you know, someone will miss out on the carousel and then maybe they'll call him. Or I could also see the Texans calling him. And like, depending on Watson. No, I mean, as in, it's August 31st. Watson is like, I'm not coming in for work. I'm not showing up. I'm sitting out. They don't have anyone because they're not prepared for that. And then they call Fitzpatrick and he signs. That's something I could see happening. One thing I do like about it, I think he elevates any of the receivers as the wide receiver one on that team a lot because he, he locks on the one guy. A lot of the time but in all the situations i think there's some a guy that could be elevated so i think it's kind of a cool wherever he does end up will boost up at least for one year the wide receiver one on only that if they're good well yes so i can't count like, new england not new yeah not new england, not new england. But, <laughs> but like if he goes to washington like a terry mclaurin i would like that if he goes to denver or Cortland sutton i i would like that sort of sort of sort of okay i'm not yeah, not as not as big of a fan of of, uh, of that pairing. Well, I'm just saying, like, a, he's a big body guy, similar like the Mike Evans that he had, that he could be chucking it up there, someone to get the ball. But these are the type of things. Like, I wouldn't say Darnell Mooney's. I think they're going to get somebody to be the one out there. But let's say they tag Allen Robinson and they sign Fitzpatrick. I would, I would like that. Yeah, I would see? like that a lot. Exactly. So I think he does. He's a, he's a polarizing player to keep an eye on for this offseason and the value of the players around him there. But I do think that he wants to be a starter. 100%. Like, from the article I read about him retiring, he told the Broncos he's not interested, which yeah. leads me to believe he's not interested in being a backup. If someone is desperate and needs a starter and – he's what's available i think he'll do it and otherwise i think he's gonna retire so you know it is what it is 
So let's move on to the next part. Let's go to the main event, as Bruce Buffer would say with this one. So let's talk about startups. Let's talk about it. Strategery. All right, so my absolute favorite thing in fantasy football is a dynasty startup, which I'm sure a lot of us feel that way. That's why we're in so many dynasty leagues. So I want to talk about the breakdown of the dynasty startup. There's a big debate about how you should set up your startup, especially like this early on as we're recording this in March. Do you put rookies in? Do you keep rookies out? Do you do standard snake, third round reversal? How do you handle rookie picks for the first season? What is your startup? What is your setup that you like to do if you were to do another dynasty? Well, if I were to do a league, I we're drafting now. I'm only playing in a league where the rookie picks are included in the startup. I have no interest in the other two options, which are, you know, the rookies just rolled in or some way that the rookies aren't included and then the rookie draft, though that's the worst when the rookies aren't included at all and then the rookie draft is some other order, don't don't do that. That's really bad. But I also don't like it when the rookies are included, but that's more from a selfish perspective. I'm not a Debbie person. I've never been a Debbie person and I don't like having my rookie drafts before the NFL draft. I just, that would give me a disadvantage. So I don't want to play in leagues where I'm at a disadvantage. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think, I think it adds more luck window. So I could, I completely agree. I think the, the absolute worst way to do any kind of startup setup is inverse order for rookie draft. Like well, yeah, that's terrible. But so the bring that up, you haven't done this before. Um, basically you have your standard draft. Let's say it's a 12 team league. So picks one through 12 go normal. The rookie draft, if you do inverse order, the um, one twelve gets the one point oh one in yeah, rookie, and then one eleven gets one point oh two in rookie, and so on and so forth. It gives such an advantage to whoever has one twelve, like such an especially in a year like this year with Trevor Lawrence. But um, any year, that's it's the worst way to do it. So I'm glad Tyler brought up. I call it the placeholder method. So you're drafting the pick itself. So let's say I wanted to use my second round pick on rookie pick 1.01, I can do that. And you're allowed to have as many rookie picks in that current year as you want or as little as you want. So it really gives everyone an idea of how they want to build the team, whether they want to go a lot more youth, full um, veteran staff, which you can completely do, or a balance of both. So that's, that's my favorite way of setting up that. But I agree with Tyler. Unless the NFL draft has happened, I do not like the rookies involved in there. No matter how big of a Debbie guy you are, there's so many variables that can go into this as well. It adds so much more luck to everything going forward, I believe at least, and it adds such a disadvantage to some people in that scenario. So I don't like that, but I see why a bunch of Debbie guys might. So maybe that might be their setup, but... Why not just have the picks? It's the same value principle, but now we'll be able to know landing spot and you get a second draft in the same I know. year. That's, that's the biggest thing I like about it is you get two drafts in the startup year. Yeah. That's why I like it so much. Yeah, and drafting is arguably the, everyone's favorite part of it, like trading and drafting. And that's why we love Dynasty so much. Those are the two most important things inside of it. So yeah, definitely a setup like that. I know, what's your opinion on third round reversals? So for those of you that don't know, basically how it goes, the first two rounds are standard snake but the third round flips the board. So if you have the pick 101, you get the 212, and then it goes to 312, 401. And if you're the pick 112, you get 112, 201, 301 in that order. So it kind of evens out the playing field, so to speak. That's what is believed. What's your opinion on third round reversal? Um, I mean, I've heard that it's interesting. I typically don't use it. I'm not sure that it's better. I, 
I don't know. I, I'm not very opinionated about third round reversal, really. Like, usually I'm pretty fired up about something one way or another, but I, I really don't. I don't care. Like, if you like it, do it. If you don't like it, don't do it. It, it doesn't really affect anything for me either way, honestly. I mean, I, I agree to an extent. It's an opinion based on that one, but I think there's a lot of data showing that third round reversal evens out the playing field more so than a standard snake based on percentage of picks. But I mean, any pick can mean anything depending on what the person believes. If someone reaches two rounds, it nullifies the mathematical advantage. You'll see typically a about 9% value drop from pick 101 to 112 throughout the draft as it shifts. In the third round reversal, it's less than a 2% value drop if every player picks perfectly. Again, that's never going to happen happen there's always going to be hits and misses but that's kind of the data that shows that that's why i'm more prone to joining startups with a third round reversal plus one thing i do like about that a lot it gives buying power to the back end of the draft if they want to move up so a big thing in dynasty startups and then we'll talk about this in a second is draft pick trading throughout so typically unlike your normal redraft league you will have a quick clock maybe two minutes or less you pick and it goes on to the next person mm. in a dynasty draft a lot of times we'll see a slow clock which can let's be up to eight hours that. yeah let's talk about that so this is before we get off the topic of the clock mm -hmm. i think that dynasty drafts have to be a slow draft if you're doing a dynasty draft in a quick the only way that i like doing a dynasty draft with a live clock is if you're doing it in a way that we can't currently right now which is that everyone's literally in the same room and like you're doing a trade, you're all just focusing on that draft and you just like go over to the other dynasty manager and it's like, okay, I want to trade this pick. And you have maybe like, you know, you could have a 10 minute clock and you do, you literally all gather for the draft. In that case, I like the fast clock because that's like a really fun event. Like you're all gathering in the same room. That sounds so they, fun, actually. We should do know, that whenever like the world is back to normal. I, that sounds I'd amazing. Love, I would love to do that. Like, it's like being at a real draft. It's like yeah. having a real NFL draft because you all have like your computers and you're all like, you can go, it's like a game. Like you can go over and talk to people and, and you know, you could text too if you want to like talk to someone behind their back and not like, you know, let them know what's going on. Yeah. And you have to do it under like a 10 to 15 minute time limit. That's really fun. But, you know, with COVID, that is just at least probably for this startup season, that's probably not happening for most people, if anyone. So, yeah, and in general, it won't, it won't happen. Because a lot of times, dynasty leagues are not yeah, made it's, with, you can, it's hard to find. 11 other people it is hard you know in a small group wherever you live that are dedicated enough to do a dynasty league but that literally sounds like the most fun thing ever somebody know that is. that's um, why I, I that's my dream i want that to happen but so if, you're, if you're listening like a year from now when everything's back to normal and you guys want to do a startup we need to plan like a weekend where there's 12 of us figuring something out I'm 100% down. I'm out of retirement for it. Coming back to what we're talking about, a yeah, slow clock. So, like I said, we're not – what are you talking about with a live clock? Like I said, two minutes or less is the average for a redraft league. For a starter league, you want to be able to trade. You want to be able to move around the board. You want to be able to offer things. You want to be able to do – like feel like you're in a real NFL draft to an extent. And it's hard to do that when you're playing people across the country in time zones. There's so many different things. And you don't want to rush this. Because exactly. a, a dynasty startup sets up your league for the for next – five ten years ideally the league stays together but at least two to three um is the biggest thing you don't want to rush that at all so that's why i hate pick rushers and things like that. that's a story for another day but yeah so typically i personally like an eight hour clock it turns off at night 
or a 24-hour clock. Because it, really it really doesn't matter. I mean, if the person isn't checking in within 24 hours, there's probably another problem. That's the biggest well, thing. Well, that's why I want eight-hour clock. Okay. Eight-hour clock that turns off at night, and then after the first, say, 10 rounds, I'll find making that a four-hour clock. Yeah, because then after the first 10 rounds, you see a lot less trading. So I think we're on the same boat on this one. We're more pre-drafting. Yeah. So I think we're we're pro-draft pick trading. I can agree. Oh, well, is there is there an – how can you be – I'm not sure what – what is anti-draft pick? Is that like a thing? I don't, I, I've heard from some people that they don't, do not like draft pick trading because they're not good at it. And that sounds like a you problem, not a, not a league problem. Well, well I mean, if, if you're telling me that – you don't like trading your picks you personally as a strategy. I'm fine with that. Like yeah. a lot of times when I'm helping people, I often advise if they're new, making few trades during the startup and just taking the best value that, that you can. And just, you won't, you might not have the best team, but you can avoid any disasters if you just, you know, accumulate your value and you, you don't, still. yeah. If you're just starting out, I making a lot of trades is how you can get burnt. So like, I totally get that, but like <laughs> every, you should be allowed to trade. Like what, yeah. what, what kind of nonsense is that a league where you can't trade that that's stupid. I'm not joining that league. That's so dumb. I, I, I'm just saying I've seen it. I'm definitely I pro as much interaction as possible within the people in your league is the biggest thing. So yeah, draft pick trading, one of my favorite things. And we'll have a whole show on that. I want to talk about draft pick mm -hmm. and regular trading. So we'll talk about that. That'll probably be in the next few weeks. We'll plan on that show. But so yeah, so a big thing, we want to have an eight hour clock. We want to have um, rookie picks available in the startup, not in reverse order. And we want to be allowing draft pick trading to be able to move around the board to help ourselves out. That's an ideal setup. There's one opinion. other thing that I want to mention about the startup draft. Yes, sir. Wasn't on the show sheet, but I'll just mention it because I think it's yeah. very important. When you start a dynasty league, you should have people pay for the first two years up front. You should be when you commit to join a dynasty startup, you should commit to two, paying for two years. I think that that promotes league stability. And then you don't worry if people, because you know, we talked about trading, right? People are going to make trades involving next year's picks. It's, it's going to be part of the deal. Some people are going to trade them away. Some people are going to want to accumulate them. We'll talk about the strategy of that later, but they're going to be traded, which means that you want to have people paid at the startup for two years. That way you don't have a bunch of people go for it in year one and then just bounce. Yeah, make someone commit to two years before playing in a startup. I think that that's that that's reasonable. No, I really enjoy that. I think that's a great way to set yourself up. I mean, the inverse of that, if someone's like shot for catch, you can always make a league where if you trade away a future rookie pick, you pay for that year. That's the other option mm, available. To you I, I like well. that after the startup, but I, yeah. I feel very strongly that I've just seen too many times it goes wrong. I really think that a league benefits if everyone this is a dynasty league you should be if you're joining the startup you should be at least intending to be in the league for multiple years so i think that you should have to pay for two years at the startup at least and then take it year by year after that i'm not one of those people that says you should pay in advance a year ahead every year but i just like at the startup just it's fair to everyone if everyone commits for two years and that way you don't get what i said is people like just doing all in 
team and then bounce. Like that's, you're it's gonna, for anybody. Yeah. people are bad. Like, I know that we want to think that everyone is, is a good person and everyone's like an honorable person, but they're not. So having everyone pay for two years, is just better for the league. And it'll also just take away any of that anxiety or uncertainty around your startup. I, I really think it's actually the, might would be my number one tip for how to set up a startup to make a league that's going to go well. You it, Also, people who are willing to commit to paying for two years are more likely to be active. They're more likely to care. They're more likely to be invested in the league. So yeah, I hear it about the money, but like I'd almost say in a high stakes league, I'd want people to do that even more because then the money is actually significant. And like, I really don't want to get into like someone just bouncing like that. That's really awful. So I, I know about the, the money situation, but I, I just, it's just better to just be safe and, and do it this way and avoid any of the issues that come with uh, the one and done. Oh, I completely agree. I'm not trying to uh, argue anything. I'm trying to bring other ideas to it. But no, I think that's the best way. And then there's like a subcategory of like another option. But I think those are like the two best and options. I, and I agree with you. I think you should do, you should pay for future draft first. If you trade a first, you should have to pay for that year um, for every year after the first two. Yeah, I totally completely agree with that. 100%. Cool. So we've got everything set up. We have the dynasty startup draft ready to go. We have what we want. Everything's everyone's about to start walking into it. What is the strategy you're looking to do when you walk into that draft? I mean, I want value. Like, yeah. I want to accumulate value. That's the strategy. So you don't walk in with any kind of like dedicated, I'm doing this 100%. I have this pick and this pick. I'm picking running back, running back. I'm picking QB, QB, or et cetera, et cetera. No, that's what people who aren't as good at Dynasty as I am do. I mean, like, I agree. I, mean, I, like, I hate to put, a, put the ego, but like that that's what people who aren't that good at Dynasty do. They just like say, I'm going to take this at this pick, and then I'm going to take this, and then I'm going to take this. You, you don't You don't know what people are going to do before you. How can you possibly make a plan for exactly what you want to take at every pick if you make a plan in advance and then aren't flexible based on the draft board you're not gonna succeed you're gonna end up being unhappy with your team draft for value look at the draft board and uh just take your picks that way don't don't come in with a rigid plan so you're not a zero rb or zero wide receiver kind of guy um no I mean, I end up with fewer running backs than most based on how my draft board is, but I've done mock drafts where I end up with a bunch of running backs just because no one wanted them. So no, I'm fine with taking a lot of running backs. I'm fine with taking no running backs. Same with receivers, uh, same with tight end, really. Uh, the one thing is with quarterbacks and super flex, I will force myself to take two starting quarterbacks, even if the value isn't there. I'll force myself to take a minimum of two legitimate real starting quarterbacks there. I won't name them, but there are about 20 to 21 players that fit into that category. I will force myself to take them. Even yeah, if the strategy is not there, or the value is not there. Yeah. So pretty much the biggest thing, I completely agree with everything Tyler is saying on this one. I don't think you should ever walk in with a strategy. I think you should have 
be, be water. Play the board to see how it goes. Grab the value as it comes in. I've had drafts where I don't take a running back till round eight because people are I, taking I, like guys that aren't even close to the thing. I'm getting like an Amari Cooper in the round six because someone took Miles Gaskin right before it. I'm like, I'm not taking a running back there. I'll figure it out later. Or I've had drafts where like I've taken four running backs in the first seven rounds because, well, Derek Henry fell to the third, fell to the fourth round, like something like that, where like no one's touching them. So the value is there in the other way. So it's just always look at the board, always take value. But I agree 100%. In Superflex, you need to get those two minimum starting quarterbacks in there because you want to have a quarterback in that Superflex spot. Ideally, you get more than two. But if you see one of those drafts where everyone's taking quarterback, you really want to look for um, getting the two to lock down. Yeah. And typically I'll end up with three or four, but I'll force two. Even if the value isn't there, I'll force it. Yeah. One thing I want to bring up, my favorite time to draft is right when the schedule gets released because it gives me a safety net on what two I can grab because I try to match a bye week. That's a strategy I've used for the first year. I never even thought of that. Yeah, so like right when the schedule gets released for the year, I kind of pay attention to which which week has the most bye week of teams, and I'll try to find two quarterbacks there that have multi-round difference ADP, and like those are my fail-safe backup plans in case everyone goes super heavy quarterback. And this is kind of like a, a super strat that I like to use a lot of time. That like, okay, no matter what, if everyone goes heavy quarterback, which, which most people don't, but just in case it does happen, I want to get two of these guys, so I only have one bye week instead of two. So I'll punt one week. Yeah, I never worry about that. I, like I just I don't even I don't think I even look at bye weeks when I'm doing a dynasty draft. I just I'm not I'm I'm just not looking at that. I'm just saying for someone that wants to like where you're not forcing yourself to have two bye weeks, you can force yourself to have one. But again, that's a very niche situation. But I wanted to bring it up as like a um, counter strategy to those people that over grab quarterbacks uh, trying to trade away them later on. Well, so. yeah, I mean people are always going to over grab quarterbacks, but. You know, I I always remind them that Superflex Dynasty did not recently become quarterback dynasty. You start usually a minimum of seven non-quarterbacks in most Superflex leagues. In some leagues, it's eight, nine, or ten, depending on how deep your league is. So, like, you have to start other players other than quarterbacks. I, I love the value of quarterbacks in Superflex leagues, but... You know, if you have seven quarterbacks for a maximum of two starting slots, that might mean that you overdrafted the quarterbacks. There were probably other, you know, if you really looked at it, you probably overvalued them. They were probably good positional players that you passed on to just force yourself into taking a lot of quarterbacks. So that's just my take on the situation. With no, that. I completely agree on that one, but that's one of the biggest things. I just like to bring up other ideas because every dynasty draft is 100% different. There's some similarities with like certain ADP, but like you can never predict on a previous dynasty what's going to happen in this one. I mean, we'll talk about some boards that I did even this offseason that I want to talk about in a future show and show you how different every single one of them were. And they were drafted within weeks apart. They're literally a completely separate event. Every dynasty draft is completely different. Uh, And that's why you have to take value based on the board. You don't know how it's going to go. But create your own board in advance. Create your own values in advance and stick to it. No, that's one thing I love to see. I I call it blocks. I make blocks of players 
then like figure out where the line is on that and then i'll either try to trade up into that to grab the last player of that block or I'll, i can see i have five players in the block and six picks out one of them is probably going to follow me i'll hold still things like that so it's kind of, kind of like tiers but i treat across multiple positions i think of it that way because the way the board looks to me but that's kind of my verbiage on it but it's essentially tiers i do that too yeah i usually don't write it out but i i do that too I have it all in like pieces, but like that's kind of how I work. I've spreadsheet upon spreadsheet when I'm working a um, startup. But I'm very like when I'm in a startup, it's like my attention uh, <laughs> is a lot of it. It kind of gets crazy. But um, that yeah, that's one big thing I like to talk about. Just have your process, be ready for it, and don't go in there saying you need to stick to one plan because and and just because something worked in one draft, it's not going to work in this draft. Like maybe try it, but like most likely it won't come out the same response. So moving on, one thing I want to bring up is the win now strategy that a lot of people take. What is your opinion on that? Like, I'm going to buy all these vets, treat it like a redraft team, and go into it. That can work, but it usually doesn't pay off. I mean, it, it can work. It, it, it's worked before, but it's not usually what I recommend. I don't recommend loading up on a bunch of old players because uh, your team's going to be in pretty rough shape after the first year if you don't bring home that title. But, you know, it's all it's all value. If that was really the value and, you know, you got Julio Jones in the ninth round and, you know, Tom Brady in the Superflex in the 12th round, like, all right, that, that's fine. That must mean you got a lot of other good players. But, you know, don't reach for Julio in the sixth and Brady in the seventh in the super flex like it, you know it's value so i'm fine yeah. with it if it works out that way but i don't like forcing it and typically based on the way i value players since i'm an ageist i don't tend to end up with a win now win now team that's just usually not what happens yeah you hear me say win now quotation marks there's so many variables that go into an nfl season a fans football season that like you're drafting your team in like march or even august and you're like oh this team is a win now team two injuries go down and you're not the best team in the league anymore you're just not there's other teams that have passed you and now those teams are more used than you so i like having a balance is the biggest thing i see a lot of guys like oh i made a full win now strategy i'm guaranteed the ship nothing's guaranteed mm -hmm. i've had i've had a dynasty league where my team outscored the second place team by 500 points in the season and i lost in the semis because julio jones tyler higby dropped like 30 points each and I was busted out in the semis. So, like, just because you built a win now team doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win because it is still a game of luck. It's a game of poker. You can get beat on the river. That's how it works. But I want to bring that up. And one more thing I want to bring up is your buddy Ryan McDowell. Yeah, has, has kind of coined this. And I, I've been I've got a lot of questions about the productive struggle strategy. Can you break that down for us? Sure. So basically the productive struggle strategy is the idea that you're going to lose year one. You trade away a lot of your startup picks for future first rounders, and you pick mostly young players in the draft with the picks that you do retain. And you, the idea is that you're going to build toward the 101 or close to it in next year's class, and then also have a bunch of additional first rounders and you know, focus year one on building value and not winning. And then you set yourself up for the rest of the league having just a, like a team full of young stud players. So that's the productive struggle strategy. Yeah, to my, under, to my understanding, you take mostly almost like forcing yourself to take first 
um, your players and rookies. Like players have been leave for one year, and rookies is like the big majority of your team. Even if you have to reach an extra round or two. You yes, you take players that have a minimum, I would say, of four years left. So like, you could on a productive struggle team like like Matt Ryan is too old. Like, even though he might have a couple years left, he's too old. Whereas, like, Russell Wilson is not too old. Like, you you could take Russell Wilson on a productive struggle team. It's just you're taking players that have three, four, five years remaining minimum. You don't want to take older players or players that are about to hit, like, a massive value cliff. Uh, you know, you probably won't have DeAndre Hopkins on he's too old for a productive struggle. You're not going to have players like Alvin Kamara. You're not going to have Dalvin Cook. You're not going to have any guys like that. You'll have players like Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. You know, those are the kind of players you'd want to take early. Probably won't take very many running backs, if any. Running backs are usually bad value bets. So you might take a rookie running back, but other than that, probably don't want to take running backs. So that, that's what you do in a productive struggle strategy. But uh, it's been an interesting year for that, actually. Yeah, last year was probably the best case scenario for that strategy. We saw a lot of players break out with that in the year 2020 with uh, Justin Jefferson um, having a breakout season. We saw all the rookie running backs having great season, most of them. What is your opinion in a normal year, though? Like, let's say we're going right now. Would you advise a productive struggle strategy? Or would you just kind of um, still play the value game? So last year was the perfect storm, right? Because the 2020 class absolutely smashed. So if you loaded your team with 2020 rookies in a 2020 startup, you now have an insane, a lot of those productive struggle teams actually ended up being good. <laughs> Cause like Justin Jefferson was wide receiver one, like Justin Herbert hit for a massive season. Like you could have actually had a good season, Jonathan Taylor too. Like, and on top of that, the 2021 rookie class is very, very good. Like you have Trevor Lawrence, like you could have had a great team and now you have the one-on-one and you're adding Trevor Lawrence or you're adding Justin Fields, you're adding Najee Harris or Jamar Chase. Like you have 2021 class is very strong and the 2020 class really hit. So last year was like the, the zenith of productive struggle. Not this year. The 2021 class is not as good as the 2020 class. It's good, but it's not as good. It's not as deep. It's not as top heavy. You know, it has Trevor Lawrence, but other than that, it doesn't, there's no Jonathan Taylor in this class. Like, and you know, the depth at running back goes off really quickly. The wide receivers, there's chase, but after chase, it gives a lot of question marks, a lot of good players, but not a lot of great ones. And then 2022 is not a well-regarded class at all not popular so trading for a lot of 2022 firsts is not going to give you the same value accumulation over time that trading for 2021 firsts did so i see a lot fewer people going for the productive struggle this year just because the 2020 accumulating 2022 firsts is just not it's just not that appealing to people so a lot of people aren't doing that i i see less 2022 firsts I see people being more willing to trade away their 2022 first for a lot less than they were trading their 2021 firsts for last year. So that that's what I've seen. That could mean that it's a great time to do the productive struggle strategy because you can get those 2022 firsts at a much reduced cost. 
but I also don't see a lot of people doing it. So could go either way. You know, we don't really know what the 2022 class is going to be like. But yeah, my, my, my biggest takeaway from that is um, you kind of zig when everyone's zagging kind of thing. Um, I know one of my leagues, I have 10 22 firsts that I've got for pennies on the dollar. So it's great to have that there. And a lot of people aren't valuing it very high, which is nice. I never go in with that kind of strategy. I, again, I always go for value. Like a lot of the ideals of the productive struggle I like. But I also like anchoring a couple of my um, higher end where I can still have a chance to win, but players I could sell that year if something goes wrong. So I like the idea of it, but last year was a perfect storm and people are clamoring to it. It's kind of like whenever one strategy hits on a year, we see that strategy being regarded as the best strategy ever. Like if zero RB works, the next year zero RB is the best strategy ever. As if zero wide receiver works in a year, the next year everyone talks about it. And it's, that's not the way fantasy football works. Fantasy football works on value. So find the value and follow it. That's all you really have to do inside of a startup. It, it sounds super simple, but it really is that simple. Don't overthink it. Exactly. It, it is simple. Typically, my way of finding value often ends up with me trading for future firsts, but it doesn't have to be that way. I'm very, you're almost never see me trade away my future first. 100% agree. Like I almost like overvalue my first just to know I'm never going to get rid of it because I like having that safety net. Now in season, I will trade it if the value is correct. But in a startup, it says lowest possible price. It's over a year away. I've wow. never traded my future first in a startup. Neither have I. Nor have I ever advised any of the people that I help or support, you know, with my Patreon and all that. I've never allowed any of them to trade their future first. I've basically just said no to that. Yeah, like, there's I, someone asked me what I would do if I'm like a fourth round pick, which it, which no one will ever give. That no one before. would give it. I'd exactly. It, but no one would. But no one would give it. Again, that's what I always tell people. But Not like, the kind of offers I'm getting. Yeah, I mean, I've never gotten it. But I also know that I'm never going to. But if someone wants to give me that fourth round and a startup pick, I will take that 100 times out of 100 because I know I'm getting a player in the value range where it's just a high, you're valuing it now as a high end instead of a low end or exactly. in the hit range. So that's just a little bit of a uh, teaser for our future to talk about when we talk about uh, dynasty startup trading and trading in general in a dynasty league. We'll be talking more about that. No, I love everything we talked about today. Talk a bunch of strategies. Pretty much the biggest closing thing I want you to take away from this is look for value, not look for strategy. Let, the, let everything come to you and then figure out your team as it gets closer to the season and then build in season. So again, be active is one of the biggest things that we keep bringing up every single show. Tyler, you got any closing thoughts? Not really. Be active is always a great tip. If you do no work, you will not succeed. We should get shirts made with that. We say it so much, but it's definitely what we stand by and it's how you win. You gotta, you gotta be the, the active, be the aggressor and be the, be the one doing the most moves. I thank you for listening in for Tyler Carp. I am CJ Krause and we'll talk to you soon.